Welcome. Welcome to church this morning. We're glad you've joined us here on site and also those who are joining us online. And I just want to say thank you also to our volunteers who are involved in our food bank program. It was so exciting for us to receive the news recently that, that we have been recognized amongst nine other depots in the city for the work that you are doing to serve the families of Lewis Farms. And so I just want to say thank you very much to all the people who are involved in that important ministry. Well, we are finding ourselves here at week five of our series on the power of prayer. I'm hoping that this is a series through which you've had opportunity to learn about prayer a little bit more, maybe grow in your understanding and regularity of prayer a little bit more. But above all of that, my, my, my hope, my deep desire is that we are praying more. Uh, anybody have any sense of maybe there's more prayer happening in our lives? I've received stories regularly about that where the uh, prayer primers and just the series that we're going through here right now has given people a sense of encouragement. Encouragement to pray more, but at the same time, encouragement to keep going through difficult times that are happening in their lives as we navigate the, hopefully, what is the final stages of COVID and transition of uh, seasons that we're going through and the hopes that we could travel and, and some of these changes that people are wrestling with, they're finding a sense of encouragement through prayer. Personally, I've been trying to follow these prayer primers myself, uh, even though I was involved in the recording of them and I'm familiar with them, I'm still using them in my regular daily prayer time. And I got to be honest, I'm finding a greater sense of awareness of, of God in the world around me and the things I pray for in the morning, I'm mindful of later in the day, and it has been fantastic for myself as well. So today, as we continue this series, I want to encourage you to keep growing in your understanding and your experience of the power of prayer, but I also want to push you a little bit today. I want to push you to consider not just, you know, if you will pray, but how you will pray when you take those times to do so. And I want to push you a little bit to pray with greater boldness. That's the key word today, boldness, to pray with greater boldness. And we're going to review this by looking at a parable that Jesus shared with his disciples. And it's a parable about a man who was bold in his request, a request that he made of one of his neighbors. He was so bold in that request, one of his neighbors, that I bet you he woke up the whole neighborhood in the process of making that request. Now, perhaps as you think about waking up the neighborhood, it conjures up memories of different places you've lived and perhaps some different neighbors that you've had along the ways. I'm sure all of us have stories of, of not-so-good neighbors. If you're part of a Facebook community page like we are, you're very well aware of where all those not-so-good neighbors are. The neighbors who don't pick up after their dogs get a lot of space time on those pages. Maybe you have a neighbor that has a rather loud exhaust system at four in the morning as they race around the neighborhood. And then there's always the great dandelion debates between neighbors, to spray or not to spray. That is the question for some people. I remember uh, early on when Adina and I first got married, actually, I shared this story when we first arrived here at West Meadows, but perhaps you've forgotten it, and pastors only have so many stories. So here we go. <laughs> When Nadine and I first got married, we moved into our first condo, and we were super excited to be there, dreaming of the future and all that would take place in this new place that we lived. We moved in all day. It was in August, so we were hot. We were tired. Well, truthfully, I was tired. Nadine was hot, 
still is. So, but, and we building the furniture and putting the beds together, unpacking what we could, making sure that at the end of the day, we at least had the beds built and the sheets out, because that's the first thing you got to do, because eventually you got to lay down and rest after all that work. And so around midnight, we finally lay down to go to sleep. It was late. We were exhausted, but we were happy, because this is our new place. This is our new future. And then it happened. Where the suite directly above us, the silent night was broken by Krista Berg's number one hit from 1986, The Lady in Red. You know that song? You love that song? We used to love that song too. See, he would play this at midnight and at full volume. And so we stared at the ceiling and we looked at each other. We stared at the ceiling and we thought, it's an okay song. We can listen to this and then we'll go to sleep. But then it repeated. And then it repeated. And then it repeated. And for an hour, it repeated at full volume. And not just that night, multiple nights per week, he would play this song at full volume in the, around midnight, between midnight and 1 a.m. It went on and on and on. And to this day, 26 years later, if the Lady in Red song comes on the radio, it is not on for more than two seconds. And it is flipped. Because we had a bad neighbor. <laughs> Well, I hope you've had some good neighbors, too. Maybe those proverbial borrow a a cup of flour type of neighbors. The type of neighbor who will mow your lawn for you or watch your house while you're away. Because neighborhoods and communities are important parts of the lives in which we live, especially during times of need. When we have a need in our lives, it's great to have good neighbors around. That's where that familiar jingle comes from, right? Like a good neighbor, those who are aligned can finish it for us. And as they do those on site, like a good neighbor... State Farm is there. Right. We know that because it's incredibly valuable to have a good neighbor. It's a catchy tune, but it's also an important principle. A type of neighbor where no matter what's going on, no matter who it is, you have permission to knock on the door. You have permission to call 24-7 without hesitation in full confidence that your bold request that you make of that neighbor will be responded to. And in Luke chapter 11, Jesus' disciples see him at prayer. And they come to him and they say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And he begins teaching them in, in Luke chapter 11 by sharing what we've come to refer to as the Lord's Prayer. It was a model of prayer that they could use, that they could follow. And it was a model where it points them to focus their hearts and their minds upon their Heavenly Father first, and then to bring petitions before him after that, expressing their dependence upon him. And this is likely what they had in mind when they asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. A familiar kind of rote prayer that they could recite at certain times during the day. Because that's the type of prayer that these Jewish men would be familiar with. But here's what was new. Here's what was new in the teaching he gave them. You see, what was new is how they could refer to their Heavenly Father. He tells them they could address God in this personal manner. That they can speak to God directly, that, that like a good neighbor, their heavenly father was there. And they could speak directly to him in times of need. But Jesus wasn't done at the end of teaching them the Lord's Prayer. The teaching on prayer continued because not only was God there, not only was God available, not only was God willing to answer their prayers, but Jesus continued the teaching in a parable by saying and calling his followers to offer personal prayers of great boldness. Confident that their loving Heavenly Father who was there would give them his very best in response to those who have faith to ask. And so that's the challenge for us today. 
And I want to start before we look at this parable by just asking you one question. One question to keep in mind right now. Is there a situation in your life right now that requires a bold prayer of great faith? Is there a situation right now in your life, maybe it's been going on for a while, maybe it's just started, maybe you know it's going to kind of, it's percolating, it's going to happen tomorrow, you know there's a situation in your life that requires a prayer of great boldness and faith. As you think about that, I also ask you to consider if you've been praying about that already, have you been praying too small? Have you been praying too politely? Maybe you've been praying with too much, just being too timid. And if that's the case, here's what Jesus says in this parable, found in Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 5. Here's what Jesus says to his followers then and what he says to us today. Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, and the friend of mine has just come from a journey, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose... That the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door's already locked and my children and I are in bed. I, I can't give you up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you bread because of your friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Now as we look at this parable, it's actually a very powerful parable, but it's easy to miss what's going on here because it's bound in cultural context. There's aspects of this parable that Jesus' audience would immediately just click with that maybe are lost on us a bit. So let me share a bit of background to what is taking place in this parable that brings light to what they would have understood. See, first of all, we need to understand in the culture that Jesus is speaking and living, food was not readily available. They didn't have things like preservatives. They didn't have things like 24-hour grocery stores. You would either have to make, bake, or buy whatever you had for that day, whether it be bread or buying some fish at the market, and it wouldn't last very long because by the end of the day, either it's all gone or it started to go moldy. Either the fish was all gone or it's starting to get a little smelly. There was no pantry to have stock. There, there was no freezer with a two-week supply of meat in it. You had to buy and bake what you needed on a daily basis. That's where the phrase from the Lord's Prayer comes from, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. It was a literal request. But at the same time, this is a society where shame and honor are extremely important and related to your actions, and based upon how much shame and honor you may have in your family, it affected your ability to operate within your community, whether you're an honored family or a disgraced family. And one aspect of that in this culture is they held hospitality at a very, very high regard to the point where you had a duty to welcome all visitors at all hours, no matter who or when or what situations they arrived at, you had a requirement to show hospitality to this. I remember uh, speaking to a missionary who spent many, many years in Afghanistan, and he had firsthand encounter with this level of shame, honor, society, and hospitality. And he tells a story of how he was witnessing to a, 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 very, a very wealthy and powerful man in a certain region in Afghanistan during a time of conflict. And he went to the man's house, and they were sitting in this home, and they're visiting and drinking some tea and, and talking about Jesus, when all of a sudden, an alarm went off, and the compound they were in came under attack. And, and a rival group had come and was shooting up the house. 
to the point where they had to lay low on the ground and duck for cover as bullets were flying through the house. Well, the owner of this house got a message out to the invading group that he had a guest. And when word arrived at this group they had a guest, they stopped shooting until the guest could leave. And then they resumed fighting after the guests had gone. Hospitality is of a different level of significance than perhaps we sometimes understand in our culture. But it's also, we have to understand, it's common for people to travel at nighttime, which just makes this a terrible situation for those who have no pantries, have no freezers, have no food at the end of the day. When you arrive at night because you want to avoid the heat of the day, showing up unannounced, you show up to a home where there probably isn't much available to a person. So what is that host to do? Well, what he does is he goes to his neighbor. He goes to his neighbor in the middle of the house, and he bangs on the door trying to say, well, maybe you've got something left over that I can give. And this is a significant request. You see, because in order for that neighbor to open the door would require his whole family to wake up, not because of the pounding, but because they lived in one-room houses. And the family would have a mat rolled out and all be laying on that one mat. And in order to open the door, he'd have to wake up the whole family. They'd all have to get up. They'd have to roll up the mat just to get the door open. And so the response the neighbor gives him is no. Everyone is sleeping. The door is locked. In fact, the door is blocked. There's nothing I can do. That's the background. That's the nature of this parable that Jesus is telling his audience. And so this man who has made this bold request of his neighbor now faces a choice. He can accept the no answer that he's received and resign himself to go back home empty-handed and apologize to his guest and not be able to show the hospitality that is so significant in this culture. Or he can persist. He can keep knocking. He can keep asking. He can keep seeking to find a solution to the problem that he has. And this is Jesus' main point. In verse 8, he says, even though he will not get up and give you bread because of friendship, but because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Because of your shameless audacity, he will relent. What does that phrase mean? Well, I'll avoid the whole geeky Greek lesson on this shameless audacity, but it's a phrase that's translated different ways in different biblical versions. You may have a version that says shameless audacity. You may have one that says importunity. You may have one that says impudence. Some just simply shorten it to shamelessness. But all of these definitions, all of these words, this phrase has the same Two points, two qualities associated with it. Number one, shameless audacity is known by brazenness. To be brazen means I'm going to set aside my pride and I'm going to do whatever it takes to achieve my goal. I'm going to set aside my pride and I'm going to be undeterred in my goal. Brazenness. And the second quality is boldness. To have the nerve to even make such a big request of somebody. And so with shameless audacity, this man bangs on the door in a loud voice, waking up the family, probably the whole neighborhood. And in this parable, Jesus is not encouraging his followers to act like selfish, spoiled brats. That's, that's not the point. That's not what he's trying to highlight here. What he's saying is that he's telling us that when we come before our loving Heavenly Father, that we can be bold in what we ask. 
We can be unlimited, undeterred. We can put our, our, our pride aside and just boldly ask what we need. If you have a need, cry out to God. Do not resign yourself to label that need as impossible. If you are facing a challenge in your life right now, call out to God. Do not believe that your problem is bigger than your God. With boldness, call out. With shameless audacity, make bold prayers of big faith to our big God. Is the point. And then Jesus drives this home at the end of the parable by declaring the promise, by declaring the outcome of these prayers. In verse 9 through 13, when he says, So I say to you, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And everyone who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks you for a fish, instead you give him a snake? He continues. Or if he asks you for an egg, you, you give him a scorpion. If then you who, who are fallen, if you then who are finite, if you then who are evil know how to give your children good gifts, how much more so your heavenly Father who will give you the Holy Spirit if you ask of him? See, this is the promise of these bold prayers. This is the assurance we can have when we are praying, that if we ask if we seek, we will find. If we ask, we'll receive. If we knock, the door will be opened. And that just as an earthly parent wants to give their children the world, so too our Heavenly Father. As a father and as a grandfather now, my greatest joy, my driving passion when it comes to family is to give my kids everything possible, everything I possibly can, to be able to help them wherever able. When Nadine and I heard that Lydia, our granddaughter, was going to be arriving, we wanted to help as much as possible to the point where we just, we, we just found whatever we could in terms, of, in terms of money and ability and effort to, to make them a place to live in the basement, to be with us, to offer as much help as we could. But we also know at the same time that our role as parents and grandparents is to support, to encourage, but also to allow to struggle sometimes. Not as a form of punishment, not, not as a form of withholding ourselves or withholding our love, but knowing that in the struggle sometimes there's opportunity to grow and to mature. That's why it's so awesome being a grandpa. Because when I walk in the room, Lydia lights up and she puts her arms up and, and I can pick her up and hold her and play with her and we can laugh. But then if she cries or if she gets a little smelly, she goes back to mom and dad because it's, it's good for them. It's good for them to have the adversity, right? I, I've done my part. I get to enjoy this. They can grow. They can mature by looking after that part of it. Because right? remember, the promise here is not that we get whatever we want. That's not the promise. We talked about this a week or two ago. The promise is not that we get whatever we want or whatever we ask for. Because prayer is not like reaching out to our genie in the bottle. Like, like God being our cosmic vending machine where our prayer is like a coin we drop on the slot and D5 and make Mechanism starts spinning and poof, a new car pops out. That's not what God is saying here. The promise is this. The promise is that you can pray big. You can pray boldly. Because we have a God who is able to do big, bold things. But we also have a God who is wise enough to know when not to. Just as we, as Heavenly 
as earthly parents and grandparents know to do. And if we know this as fallible parents, how much more so our loving Heavenly Father. That's why in verse 13 it says, If you then who know how to good, give good gifts to your children, how much more so? How much more so your Heavenly Father who will give you the Holy Spirit if you ask of him? See, prayer begins with our desire to share our hearts, our fears, our victories, and our dreams with our Heavenly Father. That's where it begins. Making these bold prayers, these bold requests. And then at trusting that if he says yes in response, he's saying yes, that is in line with my will. I take great joy in sharing that with you and giving that to you. But other times he'll say, not yet. You're in the right direction. It will happen, but trust me, it's just not time yet. And then other times, the answer we get from our loving Heavenly Father, even in the face of bold prayers, sometimes it is no. (laughs) I know that's what your heart wants. I know that's what your mind thinks you want, but I can see how that would play out in your life. And, And you can get mad and stomp your feet all you want, Mark, but no, I know what's best for you. But here's the thing, regardless of the response, what this little last section is saying, regardless of the response, when we call out to God, he always responds with the best of himself. You see, whether he says yes to what we request, or says no, or he says wait, he always still gives us the best of the most greatest value because he shares himself with us. You notice that last verse says it says, He will give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask. He will give us the very best of himself to those who ask. And it draws back to the question of the person praying, of what do we value more? Do we value the gift or the thing we ask for more than the gift giver? And if we approach prayer valuing the gift giver above any response that we get, we always come out ahead because we always receive the gift giver even if he chooses for a time or for permanently to withhold a response to the, to the gift. I was reminded of that this week in, in a way as I, I spent a lot of hours uh, expanding our deck in our backyard. And the reason I did this is because we, we had a beautiful deck that came with a house. But we put the barbecue on it, and then I went to go buy a dining set so we could eat outside and have dinner together outside. But there was only enough space left on the deck for a table with four chairs. But there's... Six of us in the house. So we didn't buy one. And we didn't eat out on the deck together. And this weekend, I extended the deck. And, and the family loves it. There's so much more space. And, and, and while it was sort of a, a gift to them to fulfill a request that they had, and I know and I hope that they enjoy the deck, I really believe and I, appreciate, I hope they appreciate more the ability that we can come together that now we can eat together on the deck. Because even if we had received the house and we had received this ability to eat together outside, but only four of us could be there and two of us were missing, it just wouldn't feel right. Even if we had received a yes to that, yes, you can do that, but but it's incomplete because two of us are missing. So I hope that the appreciation for the relationship is bigger than, than any joy that, that a material item brings. And, and we can already see the anticipation of today of looking at the weather and being like, you know, it's going to be sunny. And we're going to eat lunch together on the deck. 
You see, the deck is just a means to an end. The, the, the deck was, was, was the gift. But the real reward, the thing of the highest value, is that we will be together in relationship. And so when we pray to our Heavenly Father, sometimes he'll say yes to things that we ask of him. But, but would you really want him to say yes to that if it meant we couldn't have him? And if you flip that, if we can have him but not have the thing we request, can we still be satisfied with just him? If we can, we tap into the power of prayer. And we can pray boldly with great freedom because we will always have him present with us in the Holy Spirit. You see, in the parable, Jesus issues a call for us to be bold in our prayers, to to have these great amounts of faith to make big brazen requests, confident that our loving Heavenly Father hears us and will give us the very best because we'll always have that relationship with him. So as a return to that first question I asked you at the start today, is there a situation in your life that requires bold prayer right now? And if you have that in mind, I want to quickly draw you to three principles from this parable that you can apply to that situation, that you can apply to that prayer right now. And the first one is this. When you think about that situation, understand that prayer is not an option. Prayer is a necessity. Have you ever heard that phrase before? Well, I guess the only thing left to do is pray. Heard that before? It's kind of like saying, I've done all that I can. It's kind of like saying, I guess that's just the way it's going to have to be. It's kind of like saying, well, I think it's out of my hands now. The only thing left to do is to pray. And whenever I hear that or I think of that phrase, I think, why would we resign ourselves? Why would we resign ourselves to a less than desirable outcome? When the power and promise of prayer is always available to us. Why would we start under our own power when the power of prayer and the promise of prayer is always at hand? You see, prayer should not be our last resort. Prayer in all situations should be our first line of attack. In every situation, it's not our last line of defense. It is our first line of attack. Because prayer, bold prayers, can do anything that God can. Did you know that? Did you know that, Pastor Andrew? That our prayers can do anything that God can do. And so I encourage you, and I want you to be encouraged by that thought. If you ever feel like you don't have the upper hand, your prayers can do anything God can do. If you find yourself stuck in a stronghold of sin that you can't break free of, if you've put all of your effort into overcoming a challenge and you're still failing, if you have an opportunity coming up and you need to make a decision and you just don't know what to decide, You have at your disposal a weapon for which there is no defense. A prayer that can achieve anything that your God can do. Do you believe that? Yes. And if you believe that, then pray big. Pray big. Don't underestimate God. Don't insult God with small prayers if we believe he is bigger than our problems. So often I know when I pray, I catch myself. I feel like when I'm praying at times, I'm limiting, I'm constraining what I pray for. I'm constraining what I think is possible by what I'm capable of doing. Sometimes the words that I pray, the the, the types of words that I pray, it's, it's like, well, here's what I think reality could be in the best case scenario. And so that's what I call God to. And and I simply pray, God, make that possible. But that's assuming that his power is the same as mine. 
Because if that's what could potentially achieve by myself, what I can perceive as reality, I'm asking God to say, hey, you know, I know your power is the same as mine, God, so maybe just, you know, just this big. Sometimes we might pray about this on our own. We're saying, Lord, I, help me just make the budget this week. Lord, if I could just lead one person to faith, oh, I'd be so grateful. Lord, you know that my wife and I have been fighting for a while. Could you, Lord, just, just, just heal this conflict we're in the midst of? Lord, I know I'm supposed to do these prayer primers. I, I'm supposed to read my Bible more. Could, could you just remind me, help me to just do one? But in, instead, of, in, instead of making his power mine, what if our prayers were a little bolder and instead we say, why not be his power mine? Because he is at work in us and through us, which means he is not limited by us if he is allowed to work through us. Ephesians 3.20 talks about this. It says, God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask. Immeasurably more than all we can even imagine according to his power at work in us. And if that is true, then why not pray big? Why not pray big, bold prayers of big Faith, acknowledging that I might not be able to, but he is able to do even more. He is able to do immeasurably more than all I could ever ask. He's able to do immeasurably more than I could even imagine. And so I'm not going to just pray for my finances today. I'm going to pray, Lord, would you bless us extravagantly so we could be extravagantly generous to others in the days ahead. I'm not going to pray, Lord, help me to lead one person to faith. I'm going to pray, Lord, help me lead a whole room of people to faith. Help me lead a whole home, a whole community. Not because of me and my words, but because of the Holy Spirit working in me and through me. I'm not going to say, Lord, just heal the conflict in my marriage. I'm going to pray a prayer that says, Lord, get a hold of my marriage. Transform my marriage so that we could mentor other marriages and heal other people as well. I'm not going to simply say, Lord, remind me to pray. Remind or read my Bible. And I say, Lord, help me to fall deeply in love with you. Help me to fall in love with you so that all I want to do is be with you. Pray first. Not as your last option. Pray first. Pray big. Not just in our power, in our imagination, but in his. And then the final of the three points is this. Remember, God is not offended by your prayers. You are not being bold and offending God. He welcomes you to ask big, to take big steps of faith and allow him to respond to those. That's the point of the parable. Take these big steps of bold faith in prayer. Not timid, not quiet, not polite. Jesus wants followers who are bold, followers who have shameless audacity to bring their request before the Lord. How dare you ask for something so bold? Because God is listening. Because God hears all prayers, whether it be in the seasons of normality of life or it be in the cries of life's extremes. He hears all the prayers, responds to all the prayers, always gives of himself in the midst of those prayers. So we always have him to walk with and, and journey with. But he welcomes us to dream and to think big. Jesus described God's deep willingness to respond to our prayers as a father to a child. And I guarantee you, that he is more ready and willing to respond than we are to ask. Do not be limited by our abilities. Do not limit God's ability. Do not limit God's willingness. Because the only limit is our willingness, is our boldness. 
and our faith. So as the worship team comes to join me on the platform here, what is that situation in your life that requires bold prayer? I'm sure we all have something. Maybe it's a struggle that you're wrestling with. Perhaps a burden that you've been carrying for far too long. Maybe it's a dream, a a dream that God planted a seed in your mind a long time ago and and you're just waiting for it to come to fruition. Whatever that may be, offer a bold prayer of great faith around that thing. And as you reflect upon that, maybe you're very well aware of what that is, but you're also aware that something is holding you back from doing so. Perhaps what's holding you back is that you have been praying. You have been trying, but, but if you're honest, you've been trying under your own power, under your own ability. And you know now, as you reflect upon that, that really that's been limiting God's strength and God's ability in your life. Be bold as you pray. Perhaps you know what the situation is and what's holding you back, and because you have prayed and you have actually got an answer from God, but you just don't like the answer that much. Be bold and keep praying but also trusting that your Heavenly Father has the wisdom to know the right timing and the right place and the right response for you. Or, or perhaps, perhaps you haven't been praying. Maybe there is something. Maybe, maybe you have an answer to that question, but you know you haven't been praying because you're scared that God will answer. And if God were to answer my prayer, then, then what if? What if I then need to follow through on that answer? What if I reach out and it turns out that God really is there and he really does love me? What if it's all true and it changes everything? I challenge you to pray, to pray boldly. Because Jesus didn't just call us to pray boldly, he also modeled it for us as well. He made the way for us to reach out personally, brazenly to our Heavenly Father. See, he modeled this in his life, but especially in the final hours that he, he lived on this. Leading up to the moments of his sacrifice and, and that which we celebrate at the communion table. You know, if you were to read the gospel accounts in the, the final hours, the final you know, evening and into the day of which he ultimately would be nailed to a cross and give his life to pay the price for your sins and for mine. During that whole season, he spent a lot of time in prayer. And a lot of bold prayers were prayed during that season. Beginning in John 17, at the end of the Last Supper, one of the things that Jesus prayed, he said, The time has come, Father. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. It's a beautiful prayer, but it's a bold prayer. It's a bold prayer, basically saying, Here we go. The hour has come the final moments of fulfilling the purpose for which I have come has arrived. It is time for me to pay it all for all. And as they wandered to the garden and the burden started to weigh heavier upon Jesus, he prayed yet another bold prayer, probably one of the boldest prayers. Father, if it is possible, may this cup of suffering pass from me. That's bold if you think about it, what he is saying. He is moments away from being arrested and everything just coming to a conclusion within hours. In that final moment, this bold prayer, Lord, is there another way? But also a bold prayer of trust saying, Lord, if the answer is no, your will, not mine. Because this must be done and I trust you to say no sometimes. 
And then as he was nailed upon the cross, while the nails were being hammered into his hands, he says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. He had taught his followers earlier in ministry to pray for those who persecute you. And now in these final moments, he is boldly praying, giving these bold expressions of love and forgiveness for those who are crucifying him. And I ask you this, if you have not received the forgiveness of Jesus because you feel you're unworthy, you feel like your sin is too great, in the moment of those who are nailing him to the cross, while they were swinging the hammer, he was asking for their forgiveness. And I tell you this, there is no sin too big for him to forgive. If he could seek forgiveness for them, he can seek forgiveness for any sin. And then as he hung upon that cross, he prayed the bold prayer. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit because it is finished. And in that he opened the way for us that we could be forgiven of our sins. That we could be called children of God. That we could boldly cry out to our Heavenly Father who loves us and who we can personally call upon and who we will spend eternal life with. That is why we gather at the communion table on a regular basis to say thank you and to remember that sacrifice. To remember those bold prayers and the bold work that was accomplished that day. This table is open to anybody who has accepted Jesus Christ's victory upon the cross and resurrection over the grave. And so I invite you all to come and join us in taking of the elements of communion today. But if you don't have that relationship with him, I also invite you, I invite you to make probably the boldest prayer of your life to date. Now right where you sit in your pew right now, or if you're watching online, wherever you may be listening to the sound of my voice right now, you can do that in this moment. You can pray your boldest prayer ever and say, thank you, Jesus, for paying the price for my sin, a price that I could not pay on my own. I believe that your death upon the cross paid it all. And as you gave your life for me, I give you mine. Come be with me, lead me, guide me, Help me grow my relationship with you, I pray.